right, live from Studio 6B on a Wednesday night. A night that we've waited for here for 101 or so days. Joe Biden will address a joint or some version of a joint session of Congress tonight to tell us, um, well, God knows what. We'll speculate on what we think we're going to hear. I have some ideas. I'm sure the guys do as well. But glad you're in either way. We will cover the president's speech in full when it starts. We'll take you through all of the um, pomp and circumstance leading up to it. The hieroglyphics. Yep. Um, Paul Nolan's going to be here with a little news. How are you? Good, Ben. Had a nice day. What'd you do? Played golf. Very nice. Nice. <laughs> uh, Rick Delgado's here. How are you? I am well. Thank you. How are you? Happy birthday, by the way. Thank you very much. Uh, Rick Emirati's here with sports. Uh, Mr. Emirati, how are you? How are you do- doing, Big D? Happy birthday to you. Thank you very much. So we'll do sports a little earlier tonight because obviously okay. probably when we normally do sports will be um, – when everybody's gathering in the hall, so we'll probably we'll probably do sports a little earlier in the show tonight. We'll, a little different first hour, so we'll take the president's speech at nine. We'll stay throughout, however long it is, whether it's four minutes or forty minutes, um, and then we'll take Tim Scott, his res- geo the GOP response. See what he says. Um, be nice to hear something coherent. Hopefully by then. And then we'll uh, we'll wrap it at some point after that, whether that's ten or a little bit after. We'll stay with it till it's over. So that's the plan. Um, and we'll see what we hear tonight. My my idea is is just what you would think. It doesn't you don't need to be a rocket scientist. We're going to hear about more government, big government, grow government, uh, more regulation, more spending, taxes, more taxes, taxes and taxes and more taxes, and. Um, I'm sure there's going to be some talk in there about uh, the oncoming climate disaster and, and, and we're going to talk about redistribution of wealth and it's going to be free this and free that and child care this and, and, and we need more of this and it's going to be just the basic overall idea of uh, we're, we're going to pan today to promise tomorrow, which is what, um, what, the, what, the, what always has to happen. We have to, we have to tell you how bad it is today and tell you how we're going to make t- tomorrow that much that much better. We're going to we're going to talk about childcare, we're going to need funding for that, we're going to need funding for education, we're going to need funding for healthcare, we're going to we're going to we're going to we need to reimagine this and defund that, rethink this. Um yeah, it's all, it's all what they call now cultural infrastructure. Right? Is that the is that the new phrase? I don't know. Is it? I think is that the is. new phrase? Yeah, I think so. They're, oh. they're trying to, to marry the word infrastructure into something, you know, because it's an infrastructure bill. Oh, the systemic infrastructure. I'm sure we'll hear that <laughs> word a lot tonight. racist infrastructure. <laughs> we'll hear systemic, systemically this, systemically that. I'm sure we'll hear we're gonna, we're gonna hear. We're going to hear, you know, extreme climate. Yeah, yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure we'll hear a little bit about that. And like, like uh, Rick says, we're going to hear infrastructure. We're going to hear probably about what you can drive, where you can drive, where you can go, how you can get there, what you can do there, what you can't do. You know, just basic, you know, big government, more big government. Uh, that would be my idea of what we're going to hear. Equality, you know, all, all of that. All the bu- we're going to hear all the buzzwords. 
And in reality, what he's going to be telling you is how he's going to destroy wealth, attack capitalism, attack private property rights, attack your God-given rights, individual liberty, uh, upward mobility, all the things that Democrats don't believe in. And it'll just be a roundabout way of telling you how he's going to destroy and continue on the road to destroy all of those things. All of it in the name, of course, of a better tomorrow. And we'll build back better, Bubba. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. A build, we're going to build back better. The what are the worst slogans ever? We're going to promise you the future. We're going to pan, <laughs> pan today. He's going to tell us that he took office in... Um, you know the the worst the worst this crisis the worst that crisis the right. worst this crisis least yeah, unemployment economic crisis there was no vaccine and I would still argue to this day that he has done z- absolutely nothing Ungats. zero to kick the can zero. down the road on the path we were already on with this disease and the vaccinations uh, uh, and all of that I, I I would contend he's done nothing that he could point to or anyone else could point to. That was some big change, or again, somehow kicked the can further down the road than it already was set up to do from Operation Warp Speed and when President Trump left office. I, I don't believe that he can point to anything other than having more deaths, a bigger percentage of the deaths. It's amazing how they don't lay those at his feet like they laid every death at Trump's feet every night on every show. Um... So that's, that's what we're going to hear, a big iron-fisted, top-down, centralized expansion of government. Now, if you had to just put it in one sentence, that's what you're going to hear. And it'll be, the, it'll be in the name of, you know, minorities or civil rights or a better future or climate or whatever. But in the end, that's, that's what you're going to hear all night long in almost every sentence. Yeah. And his favorite phrase... Um... Let's see. I think he's going to say this phrase at least 10 times. It, it's the, we can do this, where he critches <laughs> his eyes up and you know, he kind of yeah, whispers into the microphone. We, and like we, can, we can do this. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm saying 10 times. <laughs> yeah, when he does that overacting, right. earnest yeah, thing. Yeah, emoting love. We God. got this. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing we can do it. You can do it. Yes, you'll hear a lot of that. <laughs> Now let's Ed, talk come about. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we'll hear that tonight. <laughs> come on, man. Here's the. Well, no, we'll he'll hear, say, we'll he might say it like this. Yeah, come he does. on, man. We'll definitely hear. Here's the deal. Oh, I yes. would think that. Well, I think yes. we're definitely going to hear. What's that. the over under? Well, 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 I like that. What's the betting line on that? He's got an over under on it. Listen, here's the deal. Good but here's the deal. Can we'll you put up a counter? <laughs> no. But um, no, what is that? Can't you be well, no, we can't put up a counter. No, oh, the answer is no. Okay, I'll use me, my thumbs. Let me okay. be more direct. No. Um, <laughs> let's talk about what we won't hear. Let's let's talk about what we won't hear tonight. We will not hear about the border crisis. Nope. We will not hear about the numbers there. We will not hear about the numbers rising from February. Uh, up 71% crossings are from February. Did you know that? Oh, you probably won't hear about it tonight. The majority of them, by the way, uh, I think 20,000 or so children since February crossing. We won't hear about the vice president being in charge of the border crisis. And, oh, I don't know, never hadn't gone there or had seemingly have any interest in it. We probably won't hear about that. 
We won't hear about um, the wall. You'll, you'll hear nothing tonight. I, I'd venture a guess. You'll hear nothing that's, that's anything that you would feel is pro-America. Almost nothing. You'll hear nothing pro-America in no. any way, shape, or form. Nope. Not about not about the citizen. Not about a, not about the border. Not about um, your future. Not about trying to make your future better. Nothing that will resonate with you as pro America. I would say that would be my guess. And it'll all just be a better future in the name of bigger government. That's the only way we can get there. Is bigger, more government, more regulation, more taxes. Tax. You know, you're going to hear big class warfare tonight. Big, big class warfare. Got to get them. Get those rich people. Get the wealthy. And this is how we're going to do it. We're going to unleash the IRS. You're seeing now today. Anybody surprised at Rudy Giuliani? I don't know what mm. to tell you. This is how the Democrats play ball. I, I just don't know what to tell you. I see these people. That I, I mean, Gestapo tactics, whatever you want to call it. I, I see people, the Biden crime. I mean, I see, you know, it's, time, it's revenge time. This is how they play ball i don't know what else to say so when these people like nancy mason these people come to washington we're gonna oh i'm gonna play nice we're gonna be nice gonna get along no no you have no idea who you're up against you have no idea they take everything to the most bottom denominator they will burn the house down on the way through they don't care if you're in there or not this is nothing more than this is playing ball this is how it goes this is payback this is it you look at the Trump Justice Department, you look at how things, I mean, where's John Durham? Where's, no, here's Merrick Garland in there for about four minutes, and here they are showing up at Rudy, I mean, this is how they play ball. And if you're surprised by it, and I, I know it's, it's back to the, it's, you know, something that started a long time ago, and it's, it has nothing to do with his time with the president, <laughs> yeah, it's right. all about okay. what he did in Ukraine and all this other stuff. <laughs> It's just amazing they're going to they're, they're go there, you know, considering all the corruption with the Kerry mafia in Ukraine, all the things that have happened there with all, I mean, just the Madan revolution now with dirty fingerprints all over the murders in the streets there. Yeah, okay. But this is, this is how the Democrats play the game. They play the game. They come to play the game. They, yeah, they come to the knife fight with a bazooka. Yeah, they, they do not, they're not afraid of the spotlight when they get the stage. Unlike the Republicans who claim they want the stage, and then when they get the stage, they cower in the corner. And they don't, you know, they don't do things like on big tech. They don't do things on like Obamacare. They don't do things on health. They don't do these things. They talk a good game. But then when they get the stage every once in a while, they don't play the game. The Democrats play the game. They come to play the game. They are not afraid of the spotlight. They're out there front and center, right in your face. So I, I just don't see how anybody can be surprised by it. Uh, as as uh, politicized as it is, I just don't see how anyone's surprised at it. I saw Rudy's son out making a statement in front of the apartment today, and he said the only thing that, that's criminal here that they didn't take is the hard drive my dad has that belongs to Hunter Biden. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow. that's amazing. That's amazing. It's right there. 
And what's what's really interesting as well is that, from what I understand, there's there's a report too that they also raided former Trump attorney Victoria Tunsing at the same time as Giuliani. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It was something it was working on for years and years. It has nothing to do with anything. Don't worry about it. Right. So okay. uh, there's an article in Red State here. I've only got a minute, but. Um... Federal authorities served a search warrant at the Manhattan apartment of to Rudy Giuliani demanding he turn over electronic devices. Now more details are in. The execution of the search warrant was apparently geared for maximum pain and embarrassment in media. Seven FBI agents came to Giuliani's home at 6 a.m. and he handed over a phone, laptop, and iPad. Then multiple sources leaked about it to the raid to the media. They appear to be looking into questions of lobbying on behalf of Ukrainian officials and not being a registered under the Foreign Agents Registration Act, FARA. But in general, that's been considered something of a backbencher crime to go after. So the reaction appears very excessive if that's what they're claiming. Um, I'll get a little bit more of this when we get back. Live from Studio 6B on State of the Union, we'll call it night. Glad you're in. We'll do some news in this hour. We'll do some sports, and then we'll get ready to take the president's speech at the top of the hour. Glad you're in. from studio 6b on a wednesday night let me just finish a little bit from this red state article on the giuliani thing then we'll do some news with paul here uh giuliani's attorney said this is totally unnecessary um claiming that the raid was done to quote make him look like he's some sort of criminal but it gets more troubling here the article from red state says from mediate this is how they reported on it Mr. Costello said authorities arrived at Mr. Giuliani's apartment at 6 a.m., seized his electronic devices. Mr. Costello said the search warrant describes the investigation as a probe into a possible violation of foreign lobbying rules. Mr. Costello said the warrant sought communications between Mr. Giuliani and individuals, including John Solomon, a columnist who was corresponding with Mr. Giuliani about his effort to push for investigations of Joe Biden in Ukraine. Mr. Solomon didn't immediately respond to request by Red State. Uh, Fox News anchor John Roberts reported uh, that detail on the air. Quote, the warrant sought communications between Giuliani and Solomon, who, of course, is well-known columnist who was in communication with Rudy Giuliani about efforts to push for investigations of Joe Biden into Ukraine. Uh, Back to the Red State article, it says John Solomon, of course, was instrumental in investigating into Hunter Biden and the Ukrainian connections. So this is really starting to look retaliatory and perhaps even trying to figure out what was discovered in Solomon's investigations. Hmm. What does um, people getting worried about who knows what, I guess, maybe the way this makes it sound. Well, can I interject here? You want to keep Go going? Well, this is stuff Rick and I have been talking about. Every time you get over the the target, all of a sudden there's all kinds of smear campaigns. There's endless, you know, misdirection. There's FUD fake news. It's just relentless 
assault on your senses anytime anyone gets near the truth. So it's just it's a constant it's a constant battle. When people started ridiculing Giuliani like he was some kind of a complete nut, it, it was you know, to me, I just couldn't understand the overreactions against him when he had done so much good work up to this point. But I just think it speaks volumes about the machine that he's going against. Uh, he says this is very concerning, not only going after President Trump's lawyer and his communications, some of which likely included the former president, but seemingly trying to get the conversations of a journalist who was involved in investigating Joe Biden's son. Even worse, Giuliani wasn't the only person served. They also served a search warrant on lawyer Victoria Tenzing and asked for her phone. Tenzing is a former federal prosecutor and senior Justice Department official. Her law firm issued a statement saying she wasn't the target and that she would have been happy to turn it over if they had just asked, which is what would normally be done. But once again, that shows a troubling level of reaction in this case. Mediate notes that she represented both Ukrainian oligarch Dmitry Firtash and John Solomon, but representing someone isn't a crime. So it's unclear what they are trying to find from her besides the quote-unquote crime of being in the Trump-Giuliani orbit. Uh, but the Solomon connection, again, would make it appear they're trying to get conversations related to him. What the alleged quote-unquote crime in the conversations with Solomon would be is totally unclear. Giuliani's son, Andrew Giuliani, decried the action against his father and the continued politicization of the justice department so that's from that's red state's take on it and that's from um nick arama written today about this and um pj media has a piece calls it an absolute witch hunt federal agents raid giuliani's apartment looking for lobbying crimes so they have a little <laughs> bit of a different take a little bit of a different take on it so if we have time i'll get to megan fox's piece in pj media but right now let's do some other news here with uh paul nolan what's going on mr nolan well pal parents from a, a vale school district in arizona have had enough with making uh masking of children and deciding to let the vale school bo board know how they felt by attending an open meeting and voting to make masking optional unfortunately the parents never got the chance to voice their concern as the board decided to sneak out the back and left before the meeting was scheduled to start at 7 p.m. Parents pointed out to the sheriffs who were at the scene that the board was violating Arizona's open meeting law. The parents decided to hold a quorum uh, and call to their, their own meeting, which they elect new school board members okay. right in the hallway of the school. And once they... They did. They called two motions to order, which passed unanimously. They voted to cancel the mask mandate and make it optional for students to wear it. And um, and, a, and the other one was to immediately remove the current board members, which is pretty cool to see. You know, it's just really cool to see these, um, you know, little grassroots moments just, you know, breaking things down. I'm, it's yeah. pretty impressive. This, yeah. is, um, this is happening in other districts. Uh, mine specifically, the school board members are, is that this is a school board member is a big, a big time race now to get on the school board because parents who have never run for anything are now running because they're so fed up with how this whole thing has been handled. And um, so you're seeing this 
Not to get too personal here, but I, I came home one night and saw saw the, a sign on my front lawn of a bunch of names I didn't recognize. <laughs> I, I thought someone put it there purposely. I grabbed it and threw it down in the in the garbage. The next night it was back. I, said, I finally said to my wife, who the hell keeps putting this sign? She said, I do, you jerk. Leave it there. I said, well, who are these people? She goes, so these are the new school board members we want to get in because everybody's so pissed off about the way the old school. And I said, oh, okay, well, there we go. Yeah, and that's where, you know what, and this is something we were talking about, I think it was about a week ago. You know, when people are talking about they're fed up, they don't know what to do, what can we do? You know, we feel like we're, we're you know, um, powerless. But it all starts on this smaller level. You, you don't think it's a big deal, but yeah, the, the school board, that's the first step. And it's great that these parents are stepping up and saying, you know what? And I think it, I think it was triggered by that woman who was uh, it kind of broke down uh, last week when she was in front of the school board about the masks on her kids and saying it's enough, it's enough. And I, I think that really resonated with a lot of parents saying, you know what? It's time. It's time we just... Because she pointed out, we elected you people to make the right choice for the kids, and they weren't making the right choice for the kids. They were playing politics. So, not if you're uh, not if you're following the science, you're not making the best decision for the kids. No. So this is this is great that we're starting to see it, you know, all over the place. Because this is this is the domino effect. Hopefully now it'll pick up, and maybe you'll see some, you know, smaller mayor mayor races around the country start to pick up. People, hey, I'm going to run for state state seat instead. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Well, the Smithtown, you're talking about the Smithtown board, right? All three of the members that are currently there are all on board with the 1619 Project. Am I, do I have that correct? And they're all on board with the uh, systemic racism and the, um, what's the other thing, that, the big buzzword now? I'm, I'm losing my mind here. With, Climate emergency? No, not, not that bad, but uh, they might as well be. <laughs> and anyway, I've seen that because a friend of mine's involved in a movement and uh they're making some headway going against that board in Smithtown, which is all they're all for that critical race theory teachings, you know, which has really gotten to the point of painful telling every young kid that they're systemically bad because yeah. of the way they were born. It's beyond psychotic. Yeah, it's kind of racist, isn't it? Well, like you say, hopefully we'll see more of it around the country of people getting on these boards and running in these what have we talked about this whole time it's got to start at the local level yeah, yeah. local local a lot of this change local. is going to start at the local level so uh anything else in the news paul here's a quick hit the biden administration is expected to propose a ban on menthol cigarettes oh. uh civil rights activists argue that flavored tobacco cigarettes are disproportionately hurting black americans because most people are just tackling black folk and putting a menthol in them like what this is racist too how is this possible so wait what's what's this story he's uh he's gonna ban menthol cigarettes because they hurt disproportionately black americans i wonder if he'll talk about that tonight all right uh 26 past the hour live from studio 6b the president's speech coming up at the top of the hour more to do. We'll get you ready. We'll be back after this. All 
right, live from Studio 6B, 30 minutes past the hour as we get ready for the um, State of the Union, if we're calling it that. We already have a live shot of the Senate floor. I guess the senators are going to gather. I saw the vice president walk in uh, and then they make their way over to the House chambers where the president will deliver his speech about how much um, today is awful and tomorrow will be great if we can just get more government in your life. So that's what we're expecting. And we'll get to that at the top of the hour. A couple of the things I want to hit before we get there, though. And this is the big news of the day. Of course, you wouldn't know that. Um, although I'll say this. I did see Chris Hayes, who is the host of the Chris Hayes, um, whatever the show's called on MSNBC at 8 o'clock right now, tweeted that this is unforgivable. And um, it's just unforgivable. It could never be forgiven. What's, what's now unraveling here with Governor Cuomo. So this is the story today out of the New York Times. Governor Cuomo's aides rewrote nursing home report to hide higher death toll. The intervention was the earliest action yet known in an effort by Governor Cuomo that concealed how many nursing home residents actually died in the pandemic. Top aides to Governor Andrew Cuomo were alarmed. A report written by state health officials had just landed and it included a count of how many nursing home residents in New York had died in the pandemic. The number, more than 9,000 by that point in June, was not made public yet, and the governor's most senior aides wanted to keep it that way. I'm reading from the New York Times, I want to remind you. They rewrote the report to take the number out. Let me say that again. They rewrote the report to take the number out out according to interviews and documents reviewed by the new york times this extraordinary intervention which came just as governor cuomo was starting to write a book on his pandemic achievements was the earliest act yet known in what critics have called a months-long effort by the governor and his aides to obscure the full scope of nursing home deaths after the state attorney general revealed earlier this year that thousands of deaths of nursing home residents had been undercounted, Mr. Cuomo finally released the complete data, saying he had withheld it out of concern that President Trump and his administration might pursue a politically motivated inquiry into the state's handling of the outbreak in nursing homes. But Mr. Cuomo and his aides actually began concealing the numbers months earlier as his aides were battling their own top health officials and well before requests for data arrived from federal authorities according to documents and interviews with six people with direct knowledge of the discussions who requested anonymity to describe the closed door debates the central role played by the governor's top aides reflected the length to which mr cuomo has gone in the middle of a deadly pandemic to control the data, brush aside public health expertise, and bolster his position as a quote-unquote national leader in the fight against the coronavirus. As the nursing home, a nurse, nursing home report 
was being written, the New York State Health Department's data contained in a chart reviewed by the Times that was included in a draft put the death toll roughly 50% higher than the figure that was being cited publicly by the Cuomo administration. The health department worked on the report with McKinsey, a consulting firm hired by Mr. Cuomo himself to help with the pandemic response. The chart they created compared nursing home deaths in New York with other states. New York's total of 9,250 deaths far exceeded that of the next highest state, New Jersey, which had 6,150 at the time. The changes sought by the governor's aides fueled bitter exchanges with health officials working on this report. The conflict punctuated an already tense and and devolving relationship between Cuomo and his health department, one that would fuel an exodus of the state's top public health officials. And I want to just pause here in this and just remind you this whole time that this was going on, his brother was having him on his nightly show on CNN and they were cracking jokes and making it like he was just the greatest thing since sliced bread and he was handling this and he was going to run for president. He was going to be the attorney general. He was going to be on the ticket. He's going to do this and do that. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yucking it up every night with Chris Cuomo. And in, in real life, this is what was going on. He was doing everything he could to conceal the fact that he had screwed this thing up so bad that he couldn't possibly let these numbers go public after he had basically killed people. That's what he did. So think about the juxtaposition of what was going on with his brother on TV and what was really going on. Now we know behind closed doors. It's stunning. In the, and, and this is recently, we have just heard, by the way, in the last two weeks, that Governor Cuomo has been handling the governor's calls about coronavirus for the White House because Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are too busy to be on them. That was the report, and I believe, in the Washington Free Beacon, that Cuomo is actually chairing the, the calls with governors. Because Biden can't, be, can't seem to find the time to be on them. So he put Cuomo in charge of them. Now, th- just think about that. Here's, here's the uh, vice president making her way up and the speaker of the house there. And, um, what clip, G, do we have? This is on what? Okay, let me see. Uh, let me see this cut six. Whenever you have a chance, just load it up I've here. heard from a number of governors who are frustrated that they haven't heard directly from President Biden on these weekly uh, coordinating COVID calls. Um, why hasn't he joined those weekly calls? And um, how many governors? So what? How many governors have you heard from? I've heard from a number, but has, how many like times? Like how many? One, two? Well, but I'm she actually have an curious answer. to see right. how many times he's joined those calls, and if there's a, there's a reason why. It was never his, in, but I'm I'm curious to answer to your question, too. Uh, yeah, it's, it's 
story. Uh, we, I think there were two in your story. There were two in my story, and there were others who didn't go on the record, but we reflected that in the story. Okay, so two governors and some anonymous governors. I will say that oh, the intention you never do was anonymous. never for the weekly call, the COVID call, that is led by our COVID coordinator to be a part, uh, to, for the president to be leading that call. Uh, that the intention was for our COVID coordinator to be providing an update directly from the president, directly from our work across the federal government to get the pandemic under control. And what we've done in that call is provided weekly updates on the number of doses that are going out to states, which is, have increased nearly every week. We're talking about an average of about 28 million out to states now. Uh, it's an opportunity to have an engagement, have a discussion about where there are challenges in the, is in the, in the system, how to better operationalize better communicate, which was a complaint you that we came in and, and tried to solve my when uh, we came into right. office. I mean, so that was the intention. The I can no. assure you that uh, the, the American public governors hear quite a deal, quite a great deal from the president on his plans to get the pandemic under control. And he uh, is uh, it's in excellent hands with uh, with his COVID coordinator. Clarify, he has not joined. Does he have any plans in the future to join those calls? We've <laughs> never conveyed it as a call that yeah. would be a part of his agenda. So oh. I, I'm not sure there's like a oh. big Oh, move the goalposts. Controversy here. So not answer the question. He right. was at least good enough to say, okay, so to clarify, since you've said nothing there, he hasn't been on the calls, and then she moves the goalpost. Right. Oh, it's not something we said. Pretty soon it's going to be, well, it's not really a call. It's like we write notes and we mail them to each other. We'll just, she's incapable of answering any questions. So back to the Cuomo thing. So let me give you a little different take because the Times thing is long. Our Daniel Greenfield, who appeared on this show about three weeks ago, wrote a piece on this too. He's just a little, little softer tone than the New York Times. He says, Cuomo killed thousands of seniors, lost a House seat. If he had been less of a sociopath, New York would have kept its seat. Governor Cuomo's many things, a mass murderer, sexual predator, and sore loser. He's off to a good start here. <laughs> Cuomo spent seventy Did I million. Write this? <laughs> Cuomo spent seventy million census outreach, but his horrifying policy of forcing nursing homes to accept patients infected with the coronavirus has killed untold thousands of New York seniors. Now the census is done. New York's going to lose a House seat by uh, eighty-nine people. We're looking at legal options. Cuomo says. Uh, maybe it's a minor mistake, like the time Cuomo's aides rewrote the report to hide the real death toll in nursing homes as he was prepping his book on his brilliant leadership during the pandemic. A report by New York Attorney General Letitia James estimates that the undercounting might have been as high as 50%, but minor mistakes do happen. We're in a position where we weren't sure if we were going to give the Department of Justice or if we, what we were going to give you guys what we start saying was going to be uh, used against us while we weren't sure if there was going to be an investigation. That's what the Cuomo aides had argued. Even the 0.5% of the 15,000 nursing home patients dead on Cuomo's watch might have saved the House seat. If Cuomo had been 0.5 less of a sociopath, New York might have been able to keep uh, that seat. Um, so he goes on and on and on. But this, I mean, it's just... The Cuomo thing is really, you think about people like Janice Dean who lost both of her in-laws. You think about the people who've lost people who are, are, are seeing this. Well, I'll use Daniel Greenfield's words, this sociopath, go on TV and listen to Fauci hold up New York as an example. And it's an example of how you do it. Meanwhile, the numbers in New York compared to almost every other place have been, are, are, are so brutally bad and astronomically high. 
But they hold Cuomo up. He does his little press conferences where he's got his charts and his graphs, and he talks to everybody like he's smarter than them, and he talks down to them, and if you didn't want to be fat, don't eat the cheesecake. And we know we've been through all of it. But now in the end, what we know is he's, he um, is a vicious liar, a sneaky liar at that, and he went out of his way to make sure that you didn't know how bad of a policy he put in place that killed people. Eat the sausage. Yeah. Besides his personal issues on top of it. Pretty stunning. Pretty stunning. And and this is another example of the power of the media. We have morons everywhere. He's wonderful. His leadership skills are incredible. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, nonstop. They, every time you're constantly being pummeled, with be, you're being told. You're the people who believe that were the people who can't laugh at a TV show without a laugh track. They don't know what's for. They can't, they can't react to anything because they're moronic. So they listen to the talking heads and constantly repeating over and over how wonderful this guy is. Lifelong politician. Son of a lifelong politician. Yeah, okay. Just the endless gaslighting. We'll do a little sports when we get back, and we'll get ready for the um, president's speech and all of the to-do here that's about to take place. We'll have it all for you live from Studio 6B when we get back right after this. Studio 6B, we're watching the um, State of the Union here in the House floor. I don't know if they're taking roll call or they're calling out um, all the Congress men and women who are there and getting seated, I guess. Uh, the Vice President's, I think, just calling names, roll call here. Let's hear a little bit, G. Ms. Stabenow? Yeah. All right, let's do, uh, we'll monitor this. Meanwhile, let's do a little sports with Rick Amorati. What's going on, pal? That's a tough segue. Yes, uh, Major League Baseball scores. D, I'm going to run through the scores real quick. Sports report. Uh, Twins uh, final 10-2 over the Indians. Marlins 6-2 over the Brewers. And Dodgers blank the Reds 8-0. Clayton Kershaw with seven seven straight innings of shutout ball and eight Ks. Justin Turner had a a home run and three RBIs for the Dodgers. Uh, Royals 6-0 over the Pirates. That's in the fourth. Red Sox lead the the Mets one nothing. Mets can't seem to score either. That's in the sixth. Yankees six nothing over the Orioles in the sixth. Nationals are leading the Blue Jays six nothing. Fifth. Rays over the A's two nothing. Uh, Braves lead the Cubbies seven nothing in the fourth. Cardinals two to one over the Phillies. That's in the third. Angels and Rangers just underway nothing nothing. Mariners and Astros also bottom of the second nothing nothing. Tigers visit the White Sox. Padres visit the Diamondbacks and Rockies at the Giants later on this evening. NHL action, final. Senators 6-3 over the Canucks. Senators had six different goal scorers for the win. Uh, Wild right now lead the Blues 3-1. That's at the end of two. And the Maple Leafs are shutting out the Canadians 2-0 in the first. William Nylander and Austin Matthews each with a goal for the Maple Leafs. 
NBA action right now. Magic, 82-61 over the Cavs. That's in the third. Sixers, 83-58 over the Hawks. Steph Curry leads all scorers with 20. Knicks right now lead the Bulls at the half, 52-48. Julius Randle with 19. Uh, Celtics over the Hornets right now, 58-47. The hot Jalen Brown with 20 points for the Celts. Wizards over the Celtics, 54-49. That's in the second. Heat lead the Spurs, 35-28 also in the second. Second, and the Penguins want to open vaccine and non-vaccinated seating sections. This is Zach Wasink of Yard Barker. Oh, As Pittsburgh and other postseason hopefuls face continued challenges linked with COVID-19 pandemic, Penguins president David Morehouse explained in an email sent to season ticket holders that the club has asked the Pennsylvania Department of Health about the possibility of opening separate sections of PPG Paints Arena to fans fully vaccinated against COVID-19 and also to those who haven't received shots. Under current health and safety restrictions, the Penguins are allowed to fill the arena to roughly 25% of the venue's hockey game capacity. It's unclear how many more fans would be permitted for vaccinated-only sections, and the Penguins added that patrons would have to continue wearing masks inside the arena, even if they are fully vaccinated. So they're sticking with that narrative. Um, they originally wanted to have games with just people who are vaccinated. Now they want to separate them. Governor Tom Wolf responded when asked about the proposal per Pittsburgh's WTAE-TV, Wolf added we are trying to figure it out as of now the penguins are not limiting attendance only to those who have been vaccinated and earlier this month we know the buffalo sabers and buffalo bills in new york announced plans to require that fans be vaccinated to attend future home games paul i know you're a season ticket holder uh with the islanders and i know you're you're up in arms with the could you imagine what that would sound like in 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 the stands (laughs) you are sheep you are selfish you are sheep you you know what I mean? Like, it'll be yeah. a disaster. It's crazy. Um, and uh, Julius Irving explains why LeBron James didn't make his two all-time NBA teams. Irving says James led the charge in teams of super team, terms of super teams. This is from Daniel Canover of Fox News. Hall of Famer, over my right shoulder there, Julius Irving put together his all-time NBA first and second te- name teams uh, on an appearance for Posted Up Podcast, and he chose not to include LA Lakers superstar LeBron James on either one. Irving had Oscar Robinson, Jerry West, Will Chamberlain, Bill Russell, and Elgin Baylor on his first team, and his second team was made up of Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Carl Malone, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. The reason why Irving didn't include James, you might ask. He's the guy who led the charge in terms of super teams, he said. When he put together a team in Miami, he put together a team in Cleveland as well, and he put together a team in Los Angeles. So he can pick his own team. I ain't going to pick his team. So Dr. J ain't buying into uh, LeBron James and his superstar status whatsoever. A lot of people will argue that he's one of the top five players of all time, but Dr. J, who's a well-known Hall of Famer, who didn't put himself in there, is uh, saying there's 10 guys that are better than him at minimum. So interesting. That made a lot of press, Big D. I was on a number of different news outlets. That was on Monday afternoon. Um, And uh, ready for this one? Mike Tyson confirms upcoming Lennox Lewis fight. Good God. Uh, yep, this is a report from Paula Didage of Fox News. The two boxers have faced off before. In 2002, Lewis won after knocking out Tyson in the eighth round. Mike Tyson is stepping in the ring again, but this time he'll be doing so with former three-time world heavyweight champion Lennox Lewis, according to a report. Tyson, 54, told TMZ Sports last night that a match between him and Lewis, 55, is set for sometime in September. I'm going to fight Lennox Lewis, he told the outlet, while at, 
out in Los Angeles. Um, so uh, originally there was talk about a May 29th fight with Evander Holyfield. However, that did not come to fruition. The two camps could not come to terms. And now uh, Mike Tyson's taking his business elsewhere and biting off even a bigger tree to chop down in Lennox Lewis. But, you know, Rick and I were talking before the show, Big D. People are going to pay, and they're going to want to see that fight. Not me. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I think, I think you're going to see gonna, it. Be a big, I think people are going to line up to watch that. Yep. No question. And um, we have the uh, NFL draft tomorrow night. We'll have a report on that. Uh, round one kicks off from Cleveland at 8 p.m. on NFL Network and ESPN as well. Obviously, the top pick, Trevor Lawrence, looks to go first to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, Kyle Pitts is the number two projected pick, the tight end out of Florida. Jamar Chase, the wide receiver from LSU. Zach Wilson. <sighs> and uh, you got a number of good Q- QBs, actually, uh, that could be going. Um, so we're going to see. We'll keep an eye on the draft tomorrow night, Big D. And the Panthers did trade uh, Teddy Bridgewater to the uh, Broncos for a six-round pick. So looks like Denver won't be in the market for a quarterback. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll keep an eye on the draft. And uh, that's going to be a wrap in sports. I know we got a busy night tonight. All right, thanks, Rick. Um, so I'm just perusing here. And, I, I mean, it's just really – this just tells you what we're in for tonight. There, There's the White House put out for immediate release excerpts from remarks – that we're going to hear from Joe Biden tonight, in one of them, DC, right? He says, "Hundred days since I took the oath of office, lifted my hand on our off our family Bible, and inherited a nation in crisis, the worst pandemic in a century, the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression." Well, that's a lie. The first part, okay, you could say, I don't even know if that's true. Uh, The worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. Well, that's a lie. And then he says the following, supposedly. The worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War. Now, I mean, most of you are old enough to remember September 11, 2001. And, um... I I mean... I don't even know what to say about that, that he says that the January 6th attack on the Capitol is the worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War. Right. Right. (sighs) Um, Any immediate reaction to that? Paul Nolan. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, the, it's just endless propaganda and, and it's just pure nonsense because, you know, 3,000 people being incinerated to their death, an entire city crumbling to the ground, first responders running into these buildings to save people's lives has a lot to do with no one dying in the Capitol when, let's be honest, that whole scene was so strange and shady and there was so much ugliness across the board and no real investigation. So to compare the two to me is the it's the equivalent of it's the it's, you know equivalent of, of comparing Biden himself to Trump. I mean the worst attack on our democracy. I mean, how how about you taking away our gun rights? That's the worst attack on our democracy. Or shutting people or, or, up, or, or maybe up. assassinating a president. Like I don't know, like four of them have been assassinated. Ronald Reagan. It was an attempt. Uh, what, what? September 11th. Uh, the Capitol was actually really bombed. JFK. I mean, Pentagon. What could you point? How many things could you point to to say a, couple, a, a bunch of knuckleheads, as bad as it was, a bunch of knuckleheads running into the 
to the Capitol. I mean, this is just going to be unbelievable. Yeah. All right, we're um. Don't even mention the past presidential election. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Let's hit the break here. We'll get back and prep for this. Uh, what's going to be, I think, a disaster. But we'll oh, see. God. 